Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This episode is part of a series explaining the meaning and scope of the disciplinary concepts in school history. And today's episode is all about historical interpretations. Hi, Helen. Hi, Sally. Um, This is a very interesting concept and not uncontroversial in the history teaching world. And it's uh, perhaps appropriately interpreted differently in different countries and also rather confusingly interpreted differently within the English system. So let's try and pick a a straightforward course through all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it is a really tricky customer. Um, And, and, you know, since 1991 in the first national curriculum, um, Key Stage 3 history has clearly had historical interpretations as a a kind of second order or disciplinary concept. But and yet for many years, there, there was like so much confusion about what, this curricular entitlement was at key stage three yeah absolutely and it was weird that 2008 to 14 thing when it was literally the s of historical interpretations that was lost but was so crucial ah, um, yeah, yeah strange strange world um i think then tip one has got to be to understand that it's not about pupils writing their own interpretations that's historical inquiry so as set out in the curricular entitlement learning about historical interpretations at key stage three is when pupils learn about why different interpretations exist and how they come to be constructed and I think that's it took me a long time to get my head around that yeah there's I think that that's so key like there's a real important subsequentness there that it has to be you know it's about why they exist isn't it it's this idea of history as a construct yeah um, and why why it's come out come about as it has absolutely it's that in the english national curriculum interpretations are things produced after subsequent as you say to an event and bizarrely one often hears talk of five years being a, a cutoff which is totally random but it's the idea of views about Crom, say cromwell from his own time not being historical interpretations and say the Bayer Tapestry not uh, being a historical interpretation of, of 1066. It's it's there so that there's an exam board rule and so that teachers, I think, can, can work out what's an interpretation, what's not for the purpose of exams. And and it is bizarre. It is random. But but I get it. It is fairly arbitrary. Um, but I really understand that the point is to get across really strongly that the point is about reconstruction, representation, interpretation of the past events. So while, you know, the purist sort of the academic historian will probably go, what? And start to, to sort of say, well, what about what about actually if we just think of it as m- 
after the event, subsequent to the event, then that's the that's the crucial thing to hold on to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I think what that means is like as conceptualised in England, um, that a history book by Simon Sharma about the French Revolution, like such as Citizens, um, well, it is Citizens, is a historical interpretation. Um, but a contemporary criticism of King Louis XVI isn't an interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got it. And 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 the, the history books by historians are historical interpretations. Of course, there are many many other things as well, like TV documentaries, historical films, museum exhibitions, textbooks. Yeah, <laughs> um, commemorations, anniversaries, like the the 2016 centenary of the Somme, or the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony tableau. Um, historical fiction a big fan but that's massive interpretation like protest songs like that amazing song by the pogues about cromwell you know curse upon you oliver cromwell um so you know tip two then has to be that to really work with the concept um and for the wonderful array of relevant and engaging teaching opportunities that are possible it's important to recognize that there are many many types of historical interpretation yeah, it's so rich. It's, it's like a treasure trove, isn't it? And we've we've really got to get our pupils to understand how historians and others, documentary makers, m- museum curators, whatever, form their interpretations and to really understand why those historians and others have interpreted events. So why have they gone that way? Why have they why have they chosen to put it across in that manner? And people in situations in different ways have done it through a different range of media. And we also need to know how to evaluate a range of interpretations of the past to us to assess their value. Yeah. Based yeah. On themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. And if we if we take the Bayeux Tapestry, as you you mentioned, that's a fine interpretation of the Battle of Hastings. um, We would be asking questions about production, such as what sort of information we use to produce it, who produced it, where was it produced? um, You know, kind of going back to those some of those questions that we talked about with source work. And we'd also be asking questions about the purpose, about what it was designed to do, um, who was the intended audience and that sort of thing. and then added to this, though, we'd, we'd want to be considering the particular perspective that it takes. Um, and that needs questions to be asked, such as like, what were the views and standpoints of the producers and commissioners of this interpretation? So tip three is, is to develop a whole list of questions as a department. It's a really, really useful exercise to do in a department meeting to help pupils to identify and evaluate interpretations. Yeah, and it's amazing, isn't it, how, as ever in history, there's a lot of knowledge required to to think through um, and to think with the disciplinary uh, concepts. Without knowledge, pupils can only give a really pat, learnt, formulaic, to, to be honest, quite pointless answers. So tip four, it's like almost like the, the constant tip, isn't it, is to pay lots of attention to the story before you actually get round to looking at the interpretations of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's why most of the exam boards have, have kind of taken a different approach for GCSE and A-level exams. So obviously last time the specs were revised, the GCSE coursework was was cancelled. I really do not miss marking that thing. But <laughs> but I also think that, um, you know, assessment is all in the exam hall now for interpretations. And that's I, I don't think that's done interpretations a service, if you like, um, in the way that we teach it. So previous experience had suggested to examiners that a lot of formulaic, quite meaningless answers were drilled into pupils about audience and purpose. 
So the exam questions ask students to test the contents of interpretations with their knowledge um, rather than focus on provenance. And I think, you know, that avoids those those kind of formulaic answers. But it also is it's a recognition that it's so difficult to be able to know the provenance of enough. You know, I don't think about I teach the interpretations uh, that got paper three on Edexcel that's on Germany. Well, I couldn't possibly help all students to know all of the different historians that they might come across in that. So therefore, they just they can't do provenance. So they just don't. That's yeah. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? It is It is a shame. It's, it's understandable, but it because it's pushing out this work on provenance from GCSE and, and it reduces the concept but it's also failing to prepare kids for A-level well and, and actually just today um, on the One Big History Department post a, a woman who teaches in a sixth form college has put out a bit of an appeal for a bit more thinking of as we're teaching GCSE where some of the kids might be heading for A-level because otherwise the A-level mountain is made even more steep if they are not still keeping going with thinking through the concepts that perhaps were wonderfully started at Key Stage 3 but then might get put on the back burner a bit yeah. at GCSE and need to keep things going. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because because at A-level that, that need to interrogate the provenance of historical interpretations might not be on the exam but it comes roaring back to life in the independent um, investigation. And I, I completely, you know, I still do look at specific historians when I'm teaching Nazi Germany at GCSE, um, but it's just a bit, obviously it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're not gonna privilege it with time because it's it's not something that they're gonna need to be able to do, but so important, so, yeah. so important that they have that practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, because evaluating provenance is really tough stuff as well. You've got to have what, Jane Card so so brilliantly called um, double vision in her article in Teaching History 117. That is, if you're trying to evaluate the views of the Victorians on the Tudors, you've got to know as, about the Victorians and their world as well as the Tudors. That's the oh, double, yeah. double vision idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just makes my head hurt, that stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, but and, and Jim Carroll like developed that further to panorama vision for A-level um, in his amazing article in Teaching History 168 which I think is really, really good too. Yeah, it, it is tough stuff, but it but it can be done. And I, I stole, I, I steal everything, I stole and adapted and used for many years an inquiry developed by Michael Fordham looking at um, how and why Shakespeare interpreted the medieval past. And the inquiry was taught as we were actually learning Elizabethan England and started with work on Elizabethan society, especially London. And then the pupils looked at the rich stories of the later Middle Ages that Shakespeare draws upon in the Richard and the Henry plays and were eventually able to link and think about why Shakespeare was selecting to write about them for his audience. And it was a good five lessons worth, but the, the depth of knowledge pupils got from 1350 to 1600-ish was great. And so justified its place on the curriculum and of course the English department absolutely loved us for doing all that preparation <laughs> of Shakespeare's world but it also was a really lovely inquiry for for looking at historical interpretation. Yeah and actually speaking of um, that kind of crossover with the English department I my, my favourite interpretations inquiry which I, I don't teach anymore um, but which I planned when I started teaching was all about Vlad the Impaler and Dracula like um, well you know the the if Bram Stoker has written Dracula as a an interpretation of the story of Vlad the Impaler, you know, what has kind of um, 
pushed him to identify this character, this historical character, as a blood-sucking vampire. Um, so it's it's really interesting. Like I, I, it all comes out of this one book, really, which is pretty old now, and I think you know discredited is one of the reasons why I don't teach it anymore. But um, this idea that he you know, Bram Stoker spent a lot of time in the British Library drawing on German merchant sources. And when you look at what source material we've got available from Central Europe in the 15th century, you know, that, that they're kind of it. And they hated him. They hated Vlad the Impaler because he'd thrown them out um, and, and they couldn't they couldn't work there anymore. But at the same so he you know, you've got the fact that he's got a limitation on the sources that he's able to draw on. But at the same time, you've got this kind of you've got to remember that he's writing this at the end of the 19th century, you know, um, invasion of the British Empire literature is like massively popular, um, particularly, you know, this sort of horror, um, almost sci-fi type thing. Um, and then you've also got this kind of Orientalism, this idea of, you know, Central Europe being a bit backwards and, um, you know, the further east you get, it's it's you know something to be threatening sorry i've gone off on one I, i'm sorry i didn't teach it anymore he <laughs> was gonna uh, come back is, to you yeah, yeah it, it's it's such a good interpretation for learning about um so first of all about the the difficulties faced in central europe between the ottoman empire and the holy roman empire um kind of in back in the in vlad the impaler's day but also about attitudes towards empire and attitudes in Britain in the 19th century. Um, so both of those things need to be understood, um, which I think is, yeah, was it made it really interesting to teach. Yeah, and actually those that, that example and the example I gave are examples of really meaty sequences, aren't they, with historical interpretations at the centre of the inquiry. And and tip five, therefore, is, is I think it's really important to plan them right across the key stages, plural, you know, right across yes. three, four, five. But however, our tip six is that we think our teacher talk needs to be shot through with comments and questions that that take for granted that the past is constructed, debated, contested, just as you were referring to early Sally with the idea of sitting down in a department meeting and um, really sort of thinking through your teacher talk. So, for example, the inquiry focus of a sequence might actually be about the consequences of the Norman conquest, but you still might use a ladybird book interpretation of the concept. Sorry, the conquest. <laughs> Don't miss the chance to pause and draw attention to construction of the thing as an interpretation while you're using it. Um, and, you know, as I always say to my trainees, do whip out a tea towel at the start of a lesson on a medieval city. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know it's lovely, isn't it? It's a Christine idea. Um, you see, a York tea towel is an absolutely brilliant thing for showing that a selection has been made of York's medieval best bits for tourists. It's an interpretation. Why does no tourist want the scuzzy bit behind Sainsbury's? instead of the minster on their York tea towel? Well, it's because, you know, Bristol's got a scuzzy bit behind Sainsbury's, but it hasn't got a minster. There's a quick reminder of audience and purpose. And then just on to the main point that a lot of medieval York is remembered and why and all the rest of it. So literally a few minutes at the start of a sort of lesson that's going to head off into the, the medieval city. Let's just come back to audience and purpose and selection. Oh, I see. Very clever. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, pupils need to keep bumping into those different types of interpretations, don't they? So that they get used to asking the questions of them about provenance, such as audience and purpose. And just being constantly reminded that history is a concept that constructs that all of these things, um, you know, come 
all of these things come to come into play when these simple decisions are being made about what goes onto the tea towel. It's so important to keep pointing that out over and over again. And um, in fact, I've got sitting on my desk in front of me a mug of the Middle Ages, which, you know, I remember using with year seven when we, we did our kind of long medieval realms unit. And I said, look at what's what's been included on the mug. Is it what you would have included? What would you have put on there? Um, and, you know, I have to I have to comment. So, you know, when we think about recording this, it was last weekend that the statue of Colston was pulled down in Bristol. And I just I've been I'm kicking myself all week because I've been trying to for years to nail down how to teach my A-level students, you know, this idea of is this a convincing interpretation? And the example that I needed was right on the doorstep for the, all of this time, which is that, you know, if you if you read a piece that's written about Colston that says he was a philanthropist, he gave money, he he opened these schools, he gave money to this hospital, he sponsored an arms house, and then you stop the interpretation there. That's is that a convincing interpretation? And it's it's you know, it's not a lie, but it is a complete distortion. And and that's what you know. My students come back. Is it true? Well, it's not about being true. It's about whether this is a, an accurate representation of the history that you studied. And if you leave out the fact that Colston made all of this money that he invested in the city through the trading of slaves, then you know that that is a, a distortion. And, you know, he is a historically incredibly significant person. But, yeah, that's something for next time, I think. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting one. But, you know, sometimes I think you have to do work that is a step back from actually working with in interpretations in order for them actually to get it. Yes. Yeah. But I mm, I think actually you're going to have to explain that. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, well, this came out of sort of noticing that a few years ago that I had a you know I, I was working with my class and they and they just weren't making the they just weren't making the leap to understanding the idea of of, of construction um and I actually sort of started sort of stepping back and just sort of watching them and listening to them and thinking about the kids and, and I realized that actually they were a group of kids who were finding it and I don't think that's unusual finding it hard to get the idea of adults not knowing the answer Mm. just finding it they were quite a well, quite a young group you know they were a we were sort of year eight group and they were one of those quite young groups knowledge not being fixed so there's something true really isn't there like you know you were just saying um I don't actually as I say think it was just my pupils but it, that particular group you know sometimes groups just catch you and you think I've got to think yes. more hard, difficult hard about this um so some work I developed with Anne Hooper was around getting them to understand that the way we remember means that there's no way we ever get a full and objective picture of the past. And Anne and I got inspired by the book that Katrin Himmler, great niece of Heinrich, uh -huh. wrote about the way her family had remembered the 30s and 40s. And, and what's really clear when you when you read this short book is that in the operation of, of psychological defense mechanisms were really, really clear. So there was repression going on. There was denial. There was projection. There was displacement. Um, all the things that, um, you know, my husband, who's trained as a, as a psychotherapist, would we'll, we'll, we'll just go, yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. That's human beings. Um, and I suppose possibly that's one of the things that, that, that brought it to my mind as I was thinking about these kids. But what we did was we revealed the story of Catherine book and had the students spotting these issues of repression and denial and projection and, and displacement um, and then took the work wider by posing the question well, but actually what does this mean 
for us about how the past is remembered and then how it can be reconstructed from what's being remembered. And this was only actually with, you know, really young kids, but we felt that that sort of pause to do that sort of understanding, it only took us a lesson, was really important for pupils to then go on to be able to grasp interpretations, all that you've mm -hmm. just been talking about, about, well, it isn't about true, um, it's about it's about what we select, as opposed to sort of seeing them as a bit of a game, which I was getting a bit frustrated because I think, you know, there was this bit of a sense that it was like, well, Miss really knows the answer, This or historians really know the answer, they're just sort of winding us up a bit. Um, we wrote about it actually in Teaching History 135, if anybody wants more, but I think tip seven for me to, to distill that down would be um, don't forget the underpinning assumptions about the world and thinking that pupils might have because they are only 12 and 13 and 14, you know, key stage three, maybe if you're lucky. Um, so some of the abstract thinking we do as adults, you, you perhaps have to sort of lay a bit of the groundwork to make it possible. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's great that that sounds like you know that's a really well spent lesson isn't it if you're pushing them through the understanding of this topic early that so they're constantly going to keep coming back to that I think it, it feels more important than ever that pupils should learn that knowledge is provisional um and but but also that all interpretations are not equally reliable or valid um, I had a good discussion with with people, of course, on Twitter uh, recently about um, what what texts you use to um, to teach the British Empire and how, you know, sometimes it, it, if an interpretation is too extreme, you just don't really should you use it in the classroom or shouldn't you? So I think they need to be explicitly taught about how to identify and evaluate them. Um, yeah, it's really important. So then, to finish off, what's your favourite historical interpretation of the moment? Oh, Let's go dear. for. Have you watched any good films? Well, um, not many, but I, do you know, I had this good discussion um, on Friday. I was thinking about. I was watching Backdraft, okay, which isn't a historical film, <laughs> but um, just I feel is very nineties, and it made me think about how many nineties versions there were of classic tales. So you look at Clueless, which is an interpretation of Emma, um, and then. What's the other one I was thinking about? Oh, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is an interpretation of the Taming of the Shrew. And I just, so I, I suppose they, they are interpretations of works of literature, but just about how those things are updated for a modern audience and, and kind of used to, to, this is still a relevant story, but we just need to update the characters a little bit. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, well, the thing I've been really enjoying is series three of Babylon Berlin. If you haven't <laughs> seen Babylon Berlin, history teachers, oh my God, as an interpretation of of the Weimar period, that later Weimar period. Uh, I just thought it's made me think about all sorts of things. I think, oh, <laughs> and of course it's uh, it's fiction, but um, yeah, fascinating interpretation yeah. and reconstruction of that period. Really great. Yeah, you know, today, this very day, I am going to start watching Babylon Berlin because oh. I've said it so many times and I still have it. I'm, I'm writing it down now. I'm going to write it. I've ground you down. <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> oh, good to talk to you, Sally. Yeah, See you really again nice next time. Talk. Yeah, take Bye. care. Bye.